This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I've got Jay Papazan with me. Jay, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for asking. And I was looking, it was February 28th, 2017, when you joined me last time on this podcast. So over five years ago, man, a lot's happened. A, a whole lifetime has happened. You know, my kids turned into teenagers in that time, and that's just yeah. a big change. Yeah, you got two boys. I got four boys, so we're dealing with a lot of the same stuff. And uh, uh, well, that could be a whole other podcast. But one thing <laughs> has remained true since February 28th, 2017. If you're watching, I'm holding up this book called The One Thing. You are the co-author of this book. And it is, uh, it's one of those books I always tell people, I get asked a lot, what name, name three or four or five books that you'd recommend. It's always the one that's in my short list of books, oh, The One Thing. It's amazing. And so I uh, was excited to have you back on the, uh, the Circuit of Success today. You were also the VP, uh, VP of Strategic Content for Keller Williams, uh, largest real estate agency uh, in, in the world, I believe. Is that, is that correct? Uh, under one brand. Yes. Yeah. Under one brand. Amazing. So awesome stuff. Well, let's talk about uh, maybe if you could give a little bit of the backstory uh, on the one thing and, and what made you guys write this book and uh, what's helped you become the man you are today. Sure. Uh, gosh, I think the journey started back in 2008. Um, I might be plus or minus a few months when I'm trying to go through my brain catalog here. Yeah. And I was at that time leading our education. We had just created a course for new real estate professionals that would kind of take them from kind of past their first year to earning the right to have their first full-time employee. And it was just kind of like that next big milestone of growth, right? It's not just me in the business. Now I can actually hire full-time support leverage. And Gary wrote uh, an introduction for that over the weekend. And when he came back in, we were going to review it together, you know, to put the final icing on the cake for this course. And the essay was called The Power of One. Mm. And in the field that I've spent 21 and a half years in, real estate sales, that's when we teach people to do franchises and businesses there. Um, the lifeblood is marketing and prospecting, lead generation, as we call it. And his essay was really about how easy it is to forget your one thing in the real estate business, but what a gift it is when you do it and how big your business can grow. And he put a few principles in there, time blocking, which is a big part of this, yeah. knowing what your number one was. And he asked me and our partner at the time, who's since passed away, Dave Jinks, he said, what did you think? And the first thing I said is, I think it's a book. And he looked relieved. He goes, I didn't want to say that, but I thought the same <laughs> thing. So that essay, you know, 14 pages, handwritten on a notepad, um, kind of started us down this journey where we 
created a hypothesis. We hired a couple of researchers and spent about four and a half years doing a deep dive. Um, at that point, we'd written a few bestsellers and we really wanted to do it right. We didn't want it to just be a bunch of Gary's ideas and Jay's ideas. So um, that was the journey. We learned a lot studying the best businesses and the top professionals in many industries. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say. I, I, I assume I shouldn't never assume, but I would, I would assume that once you write this book, you probably were focused on your business and your industry, I, I would assume. And then it, it's helped countless industries, right? I mean, one of ours, right? Financial planning, wealth management advisor, prospecting, being in front of your clients, doing those things. It works big time. So is, was that, is that true? Well, we wanted to write it. It was supposed to be our first book for general business. So we very yeah. intentionally wanted, that's one of the reasons we did all the research. Within the real estate industry, Gary's kind of seen as like a Steve Jobs type visionary. Um, and so probably, you know, equally provocative. Some people compete with him, really don't like him. And a lot of people love him. Yeah. But he's like, just put his name on the cover in real estate. And you're going to get a certain level of attention. But we don't have an advertising budget for our company. We don't do Super Bowl ads. So we weren't widely known outside. So we were very thoughtful and making sure that like we went in and we had to prove our arguments. We couldn't say Gary says. So it was just a whole different avenue. The surprising thing, I, I, I was happy and pleased that it reached other industries. But the first three years, I got most feedback from uh, sports professionals. Hmm. I turned to Gary and I said, you know, we set out to write a business bestseller and we may have written a health bestseller. <laughs> And there's a page in the book where we go through the different areas of your life where you might apply the principles. And one of them is health. And it seemed like a lot of people jumped on that bandwagon and relatively quickly compared to your career, you can start a feedback loop where you start to see the results of your actions and the results of your focus. And, you know, within a couple of months, people were like, oh, this works. So anyway, we may have accidentally written a diet book. Hey, that people need help, man. And that's what you guys did. So I, I want to talk about the focusing question. This was on page 108 uh, in the book. It says, to stay on track for the best possible day, month, year, or career, you must keep asking the focusing question. Ask it again and again, and it forces you to line up tasks in their levered order of importance. So let's talk about that. I think yeah, it's that critically important to be focused on that stuff. That if the book was one chapter long, we would skip to that chapter. Um, the subtitle is The Surprisingly Simple Truth Behind Extraordinary Results. And our publisher was like, we didn't end up that way, but he was like, you know, that I think you have to build more credibility because it's, it's too simple. But um, the origin of that question, Gary has done a lot of coaching over the years with business people. And I used to think that this was still in the book, but it's one of the things we cut. We had a little section where he described hmm. the origin of that question. He was coaching our top franchisees every week, get on the phone for like 30 minutes. They would identify what their next steps and big priorities were. And the end of the call was a commitment, right? So by next week, Brett, what are you going to have done? And you might list out, I'm going to do these four things. And to Gary's frustration, people would come back and they would have done two, three, and four, but almost never number one. And he finally started asking, you know, well, Brett, if you can only do three things this week, didn't work. If you can only do two things this week, they would do two, but not number one. And finally, hmm. it was kind of in parental frustration. If you can only make one commitment between now and next week, what's the number one thing you're going to do? And when he changed to that format, what he was surprised was people 
immediately not only started doing their number one, but everything else that came after it. And so the focusing question was kind of born and I can do it by memory, uh, but it's what's the one thing I can do such that by doing it, everything else is easier or unnecessary. Hmm. And so say that very, one more time because that, sure. was, that was perfect. Yeah, what's the one thing, right? Just one, I can do, not could, would, or should, what you can currently do. What's the one thing I can do such that by doing it, everything will be easier or unnecessary. And so it's this idea, and you hinted at it when you were reading around it, what's the biggest lever you currently have in your life, right? What's the single point of greatest leverage to get towards the goal that you want to have happen? And let's focus on that first. And then the other stuff will follow. I mean, it's like, it's like the old, there's a, I think a Brian Tracy book called Eat That Frog, which is based on, you know, the Mark Twain quote, but it's just kind of like, if you do the most important thing first, it really does make everything else easier. Cause one, you don't have this other thing hanging over your head. If nothing else, there's psychological relief at having done that right thing right off the bat. Yeah. yeah and I think it's, I always talk about when you win your morning, you can win your day. So, I mean, what, what's your morning routine like for you when you think about that? Are you spending time on that one question and other things that you're doing? What's that look like? Uh, I've asked that question to get my answers over time. What's funny is you go all the way back to 2002 and in the back of our books, we had a, an energy plan, which was the five or six yeah. things that every entrepreneur should do before like eight o'clock in the morning. And so that kind of concept has been around and anybody who listens to interviews with successful people, I'm sure a lot of your guests have, they've figured out their morning routine. They know how to launch their day. And so uh, my days typically start like this morning, my wife and I got up a little bit before 530. Um, by six o'clock, we're in the gym. We have a trainer that we can afford today. We work out together for an hour. We then have breakfast. We read together. Um, we send our kids off to school now. I don't have to drive them. And usually the last thing I do before I leave the house is I carry them around with me everywhere. I've got a little journal and in it, I have my goals, my year broken to monthly, broken to weekly. I'll look at my goals and I'll look at my calendar. I often do not look at email until I'm actually in the office. Um, I will glance at social just for fun, right? I look at Instagram where I don't feel like I'm working at all, maybe before I hop in the shower. But for the most part, I've knocked out time with my wife, exercise, nutrition, time with a little bit of time with the kids. They're teenagers. Like I said, they're 17 and 16. So if I get a hug and a kiss, that's a victory for the day. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and then uh, kind of I read often for as long as an hour on days that we have our short workouts. Um, and that's really great for me. If you write for a living, you've got to be ingesting stuff all the time in order to make connections. And then kind of the last effort I make is remind myself what's important to me this week and does my calendar reflect it? And I'll tell you that last step, it's been something I've been trained to do by Gary for years if you start the day understanding and reminding yourself what your priorities are, it's a lot easier to say no to other people's priorities. Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier to avoid making mistaken commitments to other people's priorities. And I'll tell you, that's all that's in your inbox. That's most of what's in social media too, is other people's priorities. Yeah, that's big. And you've just got to make sure that you've, you, you just, it takes five minutes. What did I say was important? When I was being thoughtful and planning, what did I say was important? Does my calendar reflect that? 
And if that's true, I can usually then go into my email and say, you know what? I can't do that until four o'clock today. Like you're on my calendar. We're recording this at one o'clock, one fifteen my time. Mm-hmm. That's by intent because morning time is my priority time. And that's where I get my most important work done. Not to say that this isn't important and your listeners aren't important, but like no. promoting my books is secondary to, ra- to writing them. And so it goes in the afternoon because fires happen in the afternoon. And have we had to reschedule this? No. Well, that's a miracle. That's the second one this year. So kudos to Carly and your team. Usually they get rescheduled two or three times Yeah. because and, a new and priority will show up and I'll say, can we do it at another time? Yeah. And I think it's, it's what's key about that though, is you know that and your team knows that, but you also prepared myself and then Robin on our team, we were prepared for that. Right. So we were in our meeting this morning, focusing on from our journal, right. The things that we do every single day and the things that we knew, we know that we got to do to win the day, win the week, win the month, win the quarter, win the year, win your career is that. And that was one of them is Jay good today because we were prepped. Because we're busy as well, right? We don't right. want to show up at one o'clock. I'm sitting here on Zoom wondering where in the hell Jay's at, right? I need to know. And so Robin and Carly, I believe, uh, connected and, and, and now here we are. But, but I think it's, it is important because planning is such a big deal. And I know you do goal planning sessions and I think you and your wife do those. I think you got an event coming up in the fall. And, and I bring that up because I know knowing you, you don't want to promote all that stuff literally, but I think it's important to know how important it is for you and your spouse to be on the same page, the goal setting that's done and what that process looks like. Uh, well, you're, you're stepping right into a passion zone for me. Okay. My wife started the tradition of our goal setting retreats. It's 16 years ago before there was even an idea for this book. Oh. Um, but I do believe firmly that the most important investment you can make is your investment of your time, right? That's, that's time, not just for making money, but for making connection with our loved ones, right? With our, whoever we believe in as your higher, you know, calling all of those things, your investments of time and hoping to get the best ROI is really important. The couple's goal setting retreat was born out of Wendy. We had two kids, 16 months apart. I was striving, right? Writing our first books at work. Wendy um, had transitioned to home to be a full-time mom, which was a very new idea for her because she had been a, a, a marketing professional before that. Yeah. And she just felt like we weren't in sync. And the whole thing is, can we just get a babysitter, overnight babysitter and go get on the same page? And that has morphed over the years into kind of a bigger process that we share. But I just think it's really important. If you're part of a couple where one half of the couple is an entrepreneur, maybe running a business and you're not, I usually compare this to, Whoever the entrepreneur is, like their life is moving fast. It's got lots of curves. It's like driving a sports car down one of those like commercials, like in Germany, down a mountain road, right? It's exciting, feels a little dangerous. The problem is the person who's not in the business, they're kind of like a passenger in the backseat with a blindfold on. They don't know where the curves are coming. It's not exciting to them. It's actually kind of frightening and maybe a little sickening. And the the gap between the entrepreneur and the non-entrepreneur, I, I chose this lifestyle and you're along for the ride. Getting on the same page and understanding where they both stand becomes incredibly vital. In my wife and I's case, we're both entrepreneurs. Okay. So we're both liable to throw stuff on each other's plate with very little notice that feels very important. And so this constant goal setting, we, we, we goal set for five years. We work backwards to what our next year will be like. 
And then usually at least once a week or once every two weeks, if we're kind of off, we kind of check in on our commitments for the year and make sure we know who owns them and where we're going. Um, at the beginning of every month, we go through our calendar. A lot of families do that. Like what's, let's go through our calendars and make sure we're not double booked for a soccer game, for us a rowing tournament for mm -hmm. our son, right? An academic function or a charity function. Just syncing up in a really formal way is very, very vital. Yeah. And, I, and again, I appreciate you sharing all that stuff because it is so important for us all to be on the same page because life is, just, it's not slowing down, right? We had this slow down maybe for 2020 for a lot of us, um, but it's, it's back, man. It's back to being on full calibration mode. It's, it's fully calibrated and ready to rock. It seems like, you know, the games and all the sports and charity, it's all back. Right. And so I think it's so important to do that. So talk to me about your journal that you mentioned earlier. So I have a, a black journal that I've written in. If you can see them, there's six, seven of them full over here from since July of 2005. That's important for me, for my dreams, my thoughts, things where I'm going. And then I've got my daily journal that I've created that I, that I use for whether it's water intake. Did I meditate today? What are my goals? What am I thankful for? What am I focusing on over the next 90 days? What does yours look like for you and how important is it to your success? You know, um, I didn't journal before I started working for Gary, but after I interviewed with him, the first thing he did, he just grabbed, I've now got like a special Spanish Rodia, like a really sturdy journal, but back then it was like a standard mead. Yeah. And he just said, we're a learning company. And our expectation is that you be an active learner. Um, we used to teach a class in our office every single week. We'd get to go and learn from different entrepreneurs. And the idea was, is if you attended a meeting, you weren't just taking notes. You were, you were, you were capturing your learnings. And, you know, in our, and I think there's like 30 graphics in the one thing, yeah. a lot of what Gary and I do and what he's taught me to do is to take our ideas and distill them into some sort of graphic form. So you open up my notebooks. I have a whole chest. That's what I have a, a, a standing desk and I have a chest underneath it that I can put my foot on. I've got 21 and a half years of journals. Hmm. Um, in the beginning, I used to go through two or three. Cause I wasn't, and now I'm very selective about the quotes and the ideas that I capture. And I can usually get through an entire year in just one 200 page notebook, sometimes one and a half years. Yeah. Um, little wisdom goes a long way. Like now I recognize maybe a little better what's important and capture it. But for me, the act of writing it down, I wish this was all searchable, right? Like I know. if Evernote had existed or something like that notion in the day, I would have made a commitment, but I do believe that writing something physically, um, there is a stronger connection to the brain. And there's something about that that really helps me retain what I'm learning and what I'm trying to learn. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I've got my iPad for stuff that I don't need to necessarily retain, just like a note thing that I can email to somebody. Mm -hmm. But I do believe there's power. And I hope maybe I'm wrong, but, you know, like all these podcasts, you know, here was and I'm goofy like this, but you know, here was number one book, right? This is full of all the guests. These are podcasts only. Well, here's the second one, right? They're the same <laughs> journal. And so I've got my Jay Papazon notes from, uh, you know, February 28, 2017. And now here I am at April 18, 2022. I hope that one day my kids or grandkids go back to all these different journals, right? And kind That's of cool. see how was the puzzle put together? And what can we do? So I couldn't agree more with that. Let, let's let's talk about, um, I think it was page 162, which for those of you that are going to get the book and read it, if you haven't already, is time blocking. You mentioned it earlier, but how important is that 
time blocking, and then walk us through this graphic that you just mentioned. Uh, walk us through that. Sure. The, the idea of time blocking, just as a definition, is really simple. Uh, you're blocking time to do something important to you. I, I try to think of it as making uh, an appointment with one, you, to do your most important work. Yep. And we block time for that. And what's great about this is we're already fairly well trained. Um, one of the only notifications, uh, except for people on my favorites list on my phone that can text me and it actually vibrates, is I get an alert 15 minutes before the next meeting on my calendar. A lot of people see that. I don't get them on my screen but I'll get a little vibration maybe on my phone or on my watch and I'll look down and go, oh, it's 15 minutes into your interview with Brett. Yeah. And what that does is it helps me transition my mind and my activities to the next thing that's important to me. So basically it doesn't require a lot of behavior change. What it requires is what to change what we're putting on our calendars. So I'm gonna go back in time. When I, I interviewed with Gary, I'd already worked in his company for about a year and a half. He found out I was in publishing in the past. I'd come from HarperCollins before I moved to Austin, Texas. And he was trying to write his first book. And during the interview process, he asked if he could see my calendar. And back then I had like a checkbook size week at a glance calendar. And I'm not very social, Brett. I mean, I love to hang out with my family, a few close friends. Um, maybe I do it now. Thank you, COVID. I do a weekly Zoom call with my family, but I'm really happy staying at home and watching a movie yeah. <laughs> or reading a book. Uh, I'm not super social. So what he didn't know is that when he looked at my calendar, I just wrote down my to-do list and I usually did it, broke it down by day. It's a habit I had before I met him was to figure out what was, how to win the week in your terminology. And then based on that, how I won each day, but he won't work with people who don't allocate time to tasks, not just other people. We work in a very social industry, real estate, where most people's calendars are dominated with meetings. And those meetings are all about meeting with other people. So it takes a shift. So, you know, the first thing we tell people to do, and I'm going to make sure you said page 162. We have a couple of graphics that I've taught around this, but this is the first three things that go on your calendar. I'm assuming that's the graphic. Yes. Yes, there it is. Um, at the beginning of the year, this is what I do with my wife when we look at our calendar. The first thing we did was we put our vacation down. I remember the first time Gary, we both used month at a glance calendars. He took photographs of his calendars and for the whole year and emailed them. And on it, he had his vacation times and our writing days. And wow. he would just do a little W with a circle on the days that we were writing together. And he wanted to make sure that our calendars were synced up around that core activity between the two of us. But what struck me was every other month, he had two weeks of vacation. And it was just crossed out, you know, a week or two weeks, just with a big V through it. And I was like, where are you going? And he goes, I don't know, but if I'm successful, <laughs> I'm going to need it. And that idea of going ahead and putting a boulder in the stream, work will flow around it. And I now teach anyone who reports to me as early as January, go ahead and request your whole year's vacation. That doesn't mean that you can't take a last minute trip, but if you think you're going to want to go to Austin city limits, and take three days off to go hear great music, let's go ahead and block that time and pretend like it's already been approved. And that way, when we're planning, we will be making sure that anything that needed to get done before then is done before then. Because what I don't want is to find out that you got tickets two days before, and now you have this wonderful opportunity to go see your favorite band, 
but we have a project that's not done. And now essentially you're saying, I want to go on vacation, boss. I'm going to give you my job for the next three days because it's got to get done. Do you mind if I take work off? So you feel like a jerk for saying no, or you feel like a fool for saying yes. Like there's no win in that situation because you've just allowed them to give you your job back or you've basically allowed for no standards around communicating between partners. So we just do it in the front end. I'd say like, even if you don't have enough vacation days, we'll, we'll square that up on a quarter by quarter or a month by month basis, but go ahead and put down where you think you want to be and we'll plan for it. Because I guarantee you there's more than enough time for the important stuff if we just know about it in advance. So that's number one. Number two, you've got to go on there and you're going to look out and you're going to go, what's my one thing that usually happens before noon, when the day before noon, whatever's your one thing. If you're a writer, you're writing or researching. If you're a programmer, you're programming, right? If you're a salesperson, you're making calls, you're connecting with your clients. As a wealth advisor, what are you doing? Advising, studying? Yeah. There you go. You, that happens before noon. And then the third priority is to get planning time. So once a week, you need to be touching base with your goals and your calendar and making sure they sync up. Yeah. And I, and I think I there's power in even writing those morning. down every day though, right? I mean, that's part of my binder or my journal is, is I call it focus 90, 90 minutes uh, a morning is kind of where my thing is. And then for the next 90 days, so I write them down every day. And I know if I'm writing it down, there is so much clarity on the goal that by day 80, 85, 90, I mean, it's just programmed. I know what the heck's going on. Yeah, I, I think there are many flavors of this. What, what we wrote about in the book, we just tried to make it a system that anyone could do yeah. and not something that was proprietary and hidden. It's just very simple and very, ex, uh, very actionable. But there's, very, there's different flavors. For me, I, I have my year. I break it down by the month. And at the beginning of the month, I'm looking at my whole month on one page. That's why I use the month at a glance. And what's instructive for me is if you're working on big things, they usually take sometimes weeks or months to complete. I'll get a really big picture. Like for me, how many writing days do I have this month? Yep. If I've got spring break and we've got an event, I might actually only have five or six writing days one month, which means I have to be very productive or very tough on my calendar on the months before and after to make sure I don't fall behind my pace. I like it. So, um, well, one, I'm going to make, I wrote it down when you said it earlier, but you said it is put a boulder in the stream, water will move around it. I love that. And, and it gave me a picture actually of this one of my, I love water and creeks and all that stuff. And, so that's a great visual. So I appreciate that. I'm probably going to share that on social media later. I'll tag you. You got it. And, um, but, but for me, I think it is, it is tough. Sometimes you can beat yourself up over putting that vacation or that thing, or I'm a big golfer, right? Putting that golf day on the calendar. So I struggled with it for years. And then I called it GFG guilt-free golf. And, <laughs> and so, because I would do things, it'd be like on a Friday to where if I, I didn't live up to what I needed. This is as a new financial advisor, right? Making my calls, having enough appointments on the calendar for next week. If I didn't do the things I know I needed to do to be successful, then I would be golfing, but I was guilty that I wasn't working. So that's when I created that guilt-free golf. If I did in the four days what I needed to do, I can go out and have fun now and play my best golf because I'm not feeling guilty. So when you hear that, what comes to mind? A lot of things. First off, if you're behind on your goals... Like I would just like, let's take it out of you. If someone said I was behind on my goals, but I was golfing. So I was feeling guilty. Were you behind on your activities or your goals? Yeah. The activities, which creates the goals, right? Yeah. And if you're doing the activities, 
over a, a long enough timeline, like there's like this idea of regression to the mean, yeah. right? If for every hundred contacts, you get one new client, maybe you go through a weird stretch where it takes 300. Stay committed to the activity and, and then you might get three in one week, right? There's, there, that's just the way life works. Even yeah. though the averages are nice and neat, when you analyze them, they don't show up that way. In real estate, I mean, a huge volume of the annual sales happen in you know June, July, and August. That's when the kids are out of school. That's when people yeah. want to move. They're not evenly distributed. And so you just got to be smart about it. Uh, two, if you're going to do something extraordinary, you have to rest, just like you have to sleep at night. But unplugging for at least a few days is really, really important. And I got to say, with COVID for two years, a lot of people stopped taking vacations. Yeah. And working from home, they've now documented the third spike. People are starting to work between nine and 12 because they don't really have effective boundaries. Like when am I at work and when am I at home if I'm always at home for both work and home? Yeah. And so like establishing those boundaries and it's, it's really surprising. Uh, I'm trying to think of it as Hawthorne's rule or one of those things, uh, Parkinson's law. Basically work will fill the time that you give it. Yes. And it's not a law. It's just, it was actually a joke that people now quote because it's true. But if you say I'm only going to work from eight to five, and you're committed to your goals, the way you show up at work will be very different. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more when I was, I guess this would have been 2005. Uh, my first son was going to be born and I committed at that point on Wednesdays, every single Wednesday. And I did this gosh for, well, probably to all the kids were in school, which my youngest is in second grade. So, I mean, until three or four years ago, every single Wednesday I would be home between three and three 30. I did That's it for awesome. years and I didn't do night appointments anymore, you know, because again, as a young financial advisor, you're seeing people at six o'clock, seven o'clock at night after, after they get off work. I just, I'm not doing that anymore. And I was scared to death. And I thought, you know what, this isn't going to work. I'm going to fail in the business, blah, blah, all these excuses in my mind. And you know what? You're right. That, that law is a hundred percent correct because you know what I found? I was getting more done with less time. Yeah. I was being more purposeful. I was being more productive, more strategic with my time. So when Couldn't my wife that. started a real estate career, uh, the kids, she was very afraid of neglecting her first job, which was in her mind, the mom. Yeah. So she refused to do any work except between the hours of nine and two 30 that allowed her to be there present at drop off and present at, in the afternoon. And eventually she established two afternoons where we hired someone to watch the kids so that she could go on appointments for people who just couldn't meet her between those. Yeah. But she thought she would sell like $18,000 in, 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 in her and she'd create 18,000 additional income, just very part-time. She ended up making 85,000 in her first partial year. And everybody at the office was just like, everybody's standing around like quote, talking at the water cooler and she's hitting it. Like, because she knows she's got a limited time frame, she treated the time differently. Yeah. And that's a real important idea. I actually did a whole TEDx talk on just that idea of when, the moment you realize you don't have time for everything. In fact, you have a very limited amount of time with the people you love. You, you focus on it differently. The example I used when my kids were five and six, my wife and I had just bought a new house, like all the stuff was going on and we were going to do a staycation. We were just overwhelmed for spring break. And I shared this with Gary and I told him how we were going to go get to know Austin, like in a new way, but we are basically, it was a big dodge. We just were being lazy. And he goes, Jay, you know, that 
if you're lucky, you've only got 10 left. And I, I didn't even understand it. And I, I just remember kind of just stepping back and I was like, what do you mean? He goes, in 10 years, Gus is going to be 16. And you'll be lucky if he goes on spring break with you. And if he does, he might be bringing his girlfriend or his friends. Like, but this idea of Jay, Wendy, Gus, and Ever going on spring break together, you're lucky if you've got 10 more. So use them wisely. Yeah. And I just went home to my wife and I was like, we are horrible parents. <laughs> <laughs> Book the vacation. We're out of here. But, but it just like all of a sudden I realized, oh, wait, if I only have 10 spring breaks now, like the idea of how focused I'm going to be on that becomes yep. much more important. Um, here's the deal. You've got a lot of time. Your kids are in second grade. Is that right? Yeah, I got a sophomore all the way down to second grade for the four okay, boys. There yeah. you go. You got, you've got one end closer to mine and another yeah. end that is in my rear view mirror, but statistically 75% of all the time you'll spend with your kids is up until the moment they go away for college. Yeah. And then you start realizing like, okay, I know he's surly. I know he stinks. He didn't put on deodorant and all the things that you could list to be irritated about, but like how many more mornings do I get with this kid Yeah. where I really get to spend it? So this idea of flipping it, not to think about scarcity, but it's this idea that you do have limited time. And how we invest it and how we appreciate it matters just a ton. Yeah, that's huge. Great perspective, too. And you're right. I mean, I was just thinking the other day about it. It's, you know, this summer, right? He'll be going to be a junior. We only have two summers, really, counting this one until that next summer, that third summer, he'll be getting ready to go to college. Yeah, you'll be using vacations. We're there to start looking at colleges before long, right? And so, like, oh, right? Like, who? There should be like a book just on that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll have a Jay and Brett podcast just on that stuff, right? There we go. Yeah. Um, I always ask this question. I don't remember if I was asking it back in 2017 early. I think I was, but I'll ask it again is the, the thinking, right? So many people, we can put fears in our minds and they can be real. They can, they can, well, false evidence is appearing real, right? Right. How many of the fears you've put in your mind have actually blown up to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be? Very few. It's, it's something, um, if you look at all of our books, there's a section early on, like in the one thing, we talk about the lies between you and success. In our mm-hmm. other books, we talked about the myths or the misunderstandings. This idea of limiting beliefs is very big, big part of our culture, um, that what you focus on expands. And if you focus on what could go wrong, right, it's like they teach you in driver's ed, you know, keep your eyes on your side of the highway. If you're looking, wherever you look, your car is going to drift. So just have to be very cautious. That doesn't mean you need to be uh, ridiculously, you know, optimistic that nothing's going to go wrong. Like I'm, I'm an editor. Like it, it, we call it the six thinking hats. Do you know that book by Edward de Bono? I don't. Well, it's the, the six different hats that you should wear or should make sure are present in every business meeting. And one of them is the black hat. And what they're really good is asking, how could this go wrong? Hmm. That's me. I'll rain on your parade. Um, That doesn't mean I'm not an optimist, um, but I'm always looking for, if I can just eliminate the three things that are most likely to go wrong, this is going to be great. But I start by talking about the three things that are going to go wrong, which is not fun for the people around me. (laughs) But like the difference between that being realistic um, problem solving in advance, right? Cause I could, I, some people have accused me of being a pessimist and they, some of them might be right in that context. I'm not perfect that way, but you can't allow limited thinking. And the best, the best way to prevent that is to have someone who's your accountability partner. 
And I prefer to have a professional coach. I've had professional coaches for 15 years plus, even though my mentor is Gary, my partner's Gary, I've got a self-made billionaire I get to hang out yeah. with. I wanted someone completely responsible for helping me make sure that my thinking was clear, that my perspective was true, because I could fall into a victim mindset some days. This is happening to me versus I allowed these circumstances to happen. And the moment you keep yourself at the center of your own story, you have agency, right? Yeah. It may not feel good to know that it was your fault, but it also gives you agency and that allows you to have hope that maybe I don't have to repeat this mistake. That stuff's yeah. going to happen, especially in business, but I want agency all along the way. Yeah, that's great. What, what have you learned from Gary the most? I mean, do, I mean, you say it like a billionaire. I mean, like, like think about that, a B, B as in boy, right? Billionaire. And I think it's something like 32 years. If you counted one per second, one number per second, I think it takes something like 32 years, Alexa would tell you to count to 1 billion, right? So put wow. that in perspective, right? And what, what, what do you take away from him though? Because not every day we get to sit around billionaires, but you are every day. And so what do you learn from a guy like that? Um, I'm going to give you the most important lesson after I just make one observation. When we were talking about how you limited the time you were going to give your career so that you could be there for your kids in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. When you think about Gary Keller's dollars per hour, he doesn't work more than about 50 hours a week. Right. 50, a lot of five, zero. What's that? 50 hours. You said five, zero, yeah, 50, yeah. 55 on a really bad week. If we're doing an event more, but like he, 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 he's very open about it. He goes like, I come from a low energy family. So he always has had the gift of having to know that he had to be very careful about how he spent his time because he just couldn't go. I, one of our uh, former vice chairmen, our current vice chairman, former CEO, Mel Anderson, she was crazy for a decade plus. She just got by on three hours of sleep and she grew up on a farm and I don't know, maybe she just had some special gene, but that that's not replicable. And And even then, like, so when you think about the Bill Gates of the world and all of these people... It's not about the hours you put in. It's about what you put in the hours. So yeah. that's, that's a very important lesson that connects to our earlier conversation. Two, the number one goal, that I, the number one thing that I think you've asked my wife or me independently, every time we've thought we were thinking big for our lives, Gary has shown us how we could think bigger. Hmm. He's always said, and, and what if? You know, when you do this, and he's always been willing to think far bigger and see farther. That is really one of his gifts, his vision and his ability to see the potential in people. And that's a wonderful gift, right? Anybody who's had yeah. that teacher in their life that despite their ADHD or their bad grades, who said, you know, they, they talk to you like you had that potential. That's incredible for your development. So we've, We've had the gift of that for now almost 22 years in our lives. Someone mm -hmm. very successful who was always showing us that we could actually, great job, but you could actually, you know, you're capable of more. And yeah. it's relentless and it at times makes you want to just scream, shut up. <laughs> I want to stop <laughs> and rest. Right. And, uh, but it's also incredibly encouraging. So I, yeah. the gift of always asking us and encouraging us to think bigger for ourselves and the people we care about. Well, it says in the Bible, right? The gift of high expectations. And that's what you know he's doing for you. And you probably are further along in your life than you probably would have been without that. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, yeah. and, and infinitely farther along. The path yeah. would have been 
hopefully no less happy and joyful, but it would have been very different in terms of, I think, some of the measures, the standard measures of success. Yeah. So um, uh, this is my last question for you, Jay. So I've never asked this before. I just kind of created it this weekend. I was thinking about, I'm a big sports guy and I I would love the locker room when you think about the, the, the speech, right? I think about North Carolina, Kansas, you're, you're getting your butt kicked if you're, uh, if you're uh, I guess, Kansas. What, what is Bill Self saying in the locker room, right, that turns that thing around? So I will ask you that same question. If, if I ask Jay Papazan, what's your halftime speech? We're down 10, right? We're getting our butts kicked. What's the speech you're going to give me to fire up the room and let's go be successful? You know, it's funny. You talk about the half times. Is it any given Sunday, Al Pacino in the locker yeah. room? It's like yeah. one of those that you just have to go watch. I just, yes. So I have to be careful not to crib his ideas. Here. <laughs> um, I think it always begins with acknowledging, like, what are we getting right? Then getting real about what we need to do. Okay. Right. Um, I watched my hometown team, the Grizzlies, you know, put up 117 points and lose. And they lost it on the boards. Yeah. And I don't think that you can um, affect change without being honest about where you are. And it doesn't mean like I've never responded to the drill sergeant coach that yells and screams and spittle hitting your face. That just never motivated me. Um, What motivates me is someone who cares about me being disappointed in my effort. Hmm. And I really respond to trust. And so I tend to lead by giving people a lot of trust and telling them, I'm trusting you to do what we train to do, right? We've prepared for this, right? It's not showing up, the effort's there, but we've got to turn it around. We've got to win the boards, whatever that is. So I always like to start with a little encouragement. I don't actually believe in the encouragement critique sandwich. Like, I think that is setting people up to like, well, who are you? You're just like whip, you're playing whiplash with my emotions. I want people to know that I'm invested in them that I care about them. And because I care, Brett, I'm going to tell you that you can do better. And here's specifically what you can do to change the outcome. Because the coach on the sidelines, man, you've got to trust that he's seeing things that you can't see in the game. As my friend, Jeff, I'm sure he's quoting someone else. He's like, you can't read the label from inside the box. Hmm. So having that person on the outside say, the label says not enough rebounds or whatever it is, not enough effort not enough courage, not enough confidence. That's what your coach, your, your, your business coach, your sports coach is able to give you. So I want to give them care and perspective and direction. If I distill down, I care, here's the perspective and here's the directive on how we change that. I love it. That's great, man. I'm glad I asked that question. I think I'm going to start asking that more often. And I, and I guess I was a liar. I said it was my last my last one, but besides your books, I mean, you've got a lot of books back there. Can you, what's, what's the short list of uh, maybe one or two books that you'd recommend anything out there? Oh, give me a category. I, 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 I read about, I try to read 50 books a year, right? Okay. I, I truly believe I want to read fiction just for, I love, I love to read. That's one of the yeah. ways I de-stress and I read nonfiction. Okay. So I would say books, focus. Like what's the category? Let's let's go focus. I think in today's world, there's you know we can focus on so many things. So obviously, the one thing would be the first one. Uh, but what about focus or, or mindset? Um, you know, discipline, things like that. Well, I I love Ryan Holiday's. When you say uh, mindset and discipline, I love his book, The Obstacle Is the Way. Okay. Um, you know, he's he's kind of uh, he lives right here in Austin. 
he is kind of reintroducing American and Western society to stoicism and this idea of, you know, being uh, mindful of what you think all at all times. And that's so the obstacle is the way is my favorite one of his books. There's a book called uh, Deep Work, and I'm trying to find Um, that had a big impact on me. And a lot of the research that we did, unfortunately, around focus, like, like we really went like 40 deep and a lot of it was scientific papers that made your eyes cross. <laughs> um, so I just think focus, most of the books on focus, people don't want to read because the yeah. idea is in the title. That's one of the reasons we didn't use that word here. Um, but it's really about getting clear about your priorities. I just think anything that gives you clarity around priorities really matters. I almost said the best book on focus was like thinking fast and slow. And it's really about all the ways that we mess up our own perspective, that the biases that screw up our ability to see the world for what it is so that we can take appropriate action because clarity, clarity just kills focus or a lack of clarity, right? It, It just kills your focus because now I'm not even sure about what the goals are. I don't need a laser, right? I've got to get really clear about where we're going and why. That is the thing that matters. Now that should necessarily give me real clarity about what's important. Well, this is all great stuff, Jay. I really appreciate your time today. Where do our listeners find more of you? Uh, I think, well, my name is very Googleable, right? So Jay Papazan, <laughs> I believe I'm the only one in the world with that name. Oh, wow. So if your last name's Papazan, don't name your kid Jay just yet. Um, <laughs> you'll kill my Google rankings. Right. But the the one thing.com, the the word T-H-E, the number one thing.com. We've got all kinds of free res- free resources. If you want to find out about our goal setting retreat, it's there on the events page. Um, pretty much everything you need starts right there. And there's tons of free resources. Love it. I love it. Well, thanks so much, Jay. Always appreciate being with you and appreciate your wisdom and knowledge you shared today. Thank you. Thank you for sharing back with me. I I love some of the questions you asked. They were first time and now almost, I guess, nine plus years of being asked questions. You asked me some stuff, the locker room, first time ever. Oh, nice. I'll I'll keep asking it then. Well, I appreciate your time. (laughs) Thank you. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.